Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Fact is, we don't know a ton about St. Valentine. In fact, there's a good chance that what we know of St. Valentine is, is perhaps a conflation of two different St. Valentines um, who are both commemorated on this day. So I'll give you the best of what we have or know about him. It's been suggested that he was both a pastor and a doctor and sacrificed himself to love others in body and soul. It appears he was arrested because he refused to obey the Roman government concerning marriage. That is, he was marrying Christian couples even though he was not supposed to be doing so. Some stories say that he ended up in prison where the jailer's daughter grew quite fond of him and she became greatly distressed over his impending death. And so he left her a small note of encouragement on a small scrap of paper. He was then beaten, stoned, and beheaded by the Romans under the Emperor Claudius in 270 AD. Most people who celebrate Valentine's Day have no idea who he is or what he did. In fact, they tend to celebrate a love that knows little of self-sacrifice and service to the neighbor. St. Valentine, on the other hand, embodied the love of Christ in both his care for his neighbor in body and soul. It's quite fitting, therefore, that today we have 1 Corinthians 13 as our epistle reading. 1 Corinthians 13 sets before us the biblical vision of love. A love that reflects Jesus' love for us. A love that seeks the good of its neighbor. I think it's important when looking at this chapter to first understand what 1 Corinthians 13 is not. Christian love is without doubt the greatest virtue among men. Like an angel of mercy, Christian charity constantly goes through the suffering and weeping world. Maintaining things like hospitals, homeless shelters, and pregnancy support centers, just to name a few things. But people in their sinfulness come across this chapter by the Apostle Paul and begin to think that they can be saved by their charitable deeds, by their works of love. And this is a misuse and abuse of this text. It is true that no one can see whether or not you have saving faith in your hearts. But everyone can see from your words and actions whether or not you actually love others. That is the love that Paul is treating here. He's not talking about our love we owe God. But he is treating the considerable, the unselfish love that we ought to show in all of our dealings with others. This is a love that flows from God to us and then on to others. It is a love that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. It is what it looks like for us to be Christ to our neighbors, as Luther put it. So what does it look like to love others as Christ loves us? That is what 1 Corinthians 13 lays before us this morning. Paul begins, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is absolutely necessary. Love is necessary because God is necessary. To imagine life without love is to imagine life without God. Life without God is pure hell. God shows himself to us by what he does. He shows us love by what he does. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He did not just think about it or talk about it. He gave. Love is doing. It's not a noun unless it is a verb. It does. 
it does not just feel or contemplate, it acts. It acts always for the benefits of others. It does not act for its own benefits. Love is necessary. Life without love is life without God. Life without God is a life of hopelessness and despair, of aimlessness and vanity. Love is absolutely necessary. So much so that even if, if you could speak in the tongue of angels but did not have love, it would be as worthless as a cacophony of clanging cymbals. You would be a nuisance. You would be annoying. I mean, think about the most annoying sound that bothers you. For parents, it's probably some song their kids have played like a million times or sung a million times over and over. Paul says, apart from love, that's how you sound. Even if you understood all the mysteries, and if you had all the knowledge, but you did not have faith, or if you also had the faith that you could tell a mountain to jump in place, but did not have love, you would have nothing. You would be nothing. You could even give all of your all the food to every last hungry person on the planet. But apart from love, it's pointless. You could give your body to be burned as a martyr. But if you did not have love, then it profits you nothing. You would gain absolutely nothing from it. So no matter how important you think you are, no matter how great you think the things you are doing are, if the love of Christ is not flowing through you to others, then it's all for nothing. You're bankrupt without love. Love is absolutely necessary, so Paul goes on to describe what this love looks like. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. First we're told that love suffers on behalf of others. This is love's greatest characteristic. And because we as Christians have experienced the perfect patience of our lords, we too show one another the same kind of long-suffering patience. Now, as you know all too well, this does not come easily. It does not come naturally. But indeed, it is a gift of God. In a world that is fast-paced and wants quick fixes for everything, you would have a love for others that suffers over time. In fact, loving others can and will involve a great deal of sorrow and pain. But the greatest thing about love is that love suffers long. Love is kind. Now, I think we often confuse kindness with niceness. But let me help you distinguish them. I read this just recently, but I cannot for the life of me remember where I got it. But I found it very helpful. Kindness has the long-term happiness of someone in mind. That is, it thinks about what's best for them in the long run. Niceness generally is concerned about the moment, making someone happy here and now, regardless of what the long-term outcome may be. Which means that what is kind may not always be nice. What is loving may not always look kind. Or what is loving may not always look nice because love is always looking out for what is best as it shows kindness. Love is not jealous. Jealousy is indeed the green-eyed monster that is never content with what it gives it has received. It's always trampling down others for its own advancements. Jealousy is a work of the flesh. Jealousy feeds off of itself, and it destroys 
the other rather than helping and loving the neighbor. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of this ever written is Shakespeare's Othello. Othello becomes convinced by others who seek to destroy him that his wife is being unfaithful to him. And it drives him so mad and consumes him so much that he ends up murdering his wife in the end. All because he was consumed, consumed by jealousy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not act like a braggart or a windbag. Christian love and egoism, Christian love and arrogance cannot coexist together. If you are boasting about yourself, you cannot be loving others. Love does not behave rudely. Love is concerned for what is right in the Lord's sight and takes care not to unnecessarily offend others. Love strives to conduct itself in a way that is kind, which is the very opposite of being rude. Love does not seek its own. Love is always seeking to edify, that is, to build others up. Love is outward focused, focused on others. Sin is usually focused on the self. Love, however, can never be and is never me first. Love is not provoked. Because love is patient, it's not easily angered. It's not easily irritated. Love does not flap the handle at others. This takes us back again to being patient, to being long-suffering with others. Love thinks no evil and does not delight in iniquity. Love strives for the best construction on things. Love does not delight in the sins of others, but delights in striving to forgive others. In fact, love compels us to share the forgiveness of Christ that we've received with those who have sinned against us. Paul brings this section to a close by saying, Love rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is tenacious. Love puts up with others. Love bears one another's burdens. Love rejoices in the truth and is not constantly suspicious of others. Love never gives up its hope in God, even as it deals with the sins against it. And love endures all things, which again, Brings us back to long suffering and patience. The reason that love can bear and believe and hope is that only love knows what remains. Only love knows the fruitlessness of all effort apart from the love of God, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Only love comprehends how futile and petty our fixations and our resentments and our bickerings truly are. Only love recognizes that Christ shall be all in all. And that for his sake, love believes and bears everything with the view of the day of our bridegroom's returning. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. In fact, I honestly think it can be quite overwhelming. But we have to remember this is not something we're called to do in and of ourselves. You would not be able to do it. This is the kind of love that flows from Christ to you. It's the very love of Christ that flows out of you to others. In your own strength, this would be impossible. But in Christ, you can begin in great weakness to love others the way God has loved you. But Paul's not even done yet because he has even greater things to say about love. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in parts and we prophesy in parts. 
Well, now which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God never fails and never falls to the ground ineffective, but always accomplishes its purposes. So Christian love will retain its honor place throughout all of eternity. And the prospect of this wonderful blessedness causes the apostle to close his psalm of love in a wonderful outburst of triumphant joy. Because there remain faith, hope, and love. All their gifts, all their virtues pass away. But these three remain permanently. Faith, hope, and love remain in eternity. Because that which a Christian believes, hopes, and loves remains forever. Because God is eternal. The one with whom we are united in faith, hope, and love. And this conclusion of Paul's is practically demanded by the statement that all imperfect things will be abolished. For of these three, the apostle does not say that they are imperfect. He doesn't say we believe in parts, that we hope in parts, that we love in parts. Because faith, even the weakest faith, although it knows God only in parts, yet as saving faith receives the whole God, the whole Christ, the entire redemption in Christ, the full forgiveness of sins. Hope also, even though it sees and knows only a few rays of the glory to come, yet it has the entire future world as its object. And love concentrates upon the entire triune God of our salvation, not upon some pitiful remnant or part of God. So love is not more lasting, but it is greater among these, the greatest of the three. Faith and hope also remain forever, since that which we believe that for which we hope lasts forever. But the nature of faith and hope that we have here will cease. For what we have here believed and hoped for, we shall there possess and enjoy. Our faith will reach its perfection, beholding our hope, beholding all of God as he truly is. Our hope will be perfected in enjoyment. We'll enjoy God fully as we now hope. But our love of God and of Christ, and therefore also of Others will be absolutely unchanged. It will only be purified. All the obstacles which here hinder our truly loving others, as God has called us to, will be removed. So that for all eternity, it will be a perfectly pure love that you have for others. You'll be able to love one another, as Paul describes here, because you will be without any sin. Now this entire chapter... If you go back and reread it, and I encourage you to do this when you get home, put the name of Jesus everywhere it mentions love. And it still works. Why does it work? Because Jesus is love incarnate. All that he does, all that he did, he did out of love for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Because all he does, he does out of love for the Father and out of his love for you. He lays down his life for his friends and even for his enemies. He gives away all that he has, even his last garment. He gives away his last shred of dignity, his last breath. He even delivers up his father, to, his body to be burned by the father's wrath and tortured by Herod's and Pilate's soldiers and by the devil himself, all 
out of love. In this he is ever patient and kind. He is never envious or boasting. He is not arrogant or rude even to those who mock him. And even in the midst of his own loneliness and his own agony upon the cross, he still thinks of others. So that he makes arrangements for the penitent thief on the cross. He tells him that he will be with him in paradise. He makes arrangements for his mother, not just that she'll be taken care of, but even that she'll be catechized as he puts her into the care of the Apostle John, whom he loves. He looks after those who crucify him, but know not what they're doing, begging the Father's mercy to forgive them. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices that God will use what they do in malice to him for good. He is love and he bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. And there on the cross, he endures all things. So that his love never fails, it never ends. And all of this was for you and your salvation. As we sing, love causes incarnation, love brought him down to you. That he might suffer and die for your salvation. So on this Valentine's Day, let's remember what true love, the true love that Christ has shown us for our neighbor looks like. But even more than that, let's consider the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think all this is brought together beautifully in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this love of God is manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Who we are and how we live is all bound up in the love that Christ Jesus our Lord has for us. In him you are loved, and in him you can be loving. Amen. The peace of God passes all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.